The Dark Times is not intended for younglings, foundlings, or Padawan learners. Ask your Game Master's permission before listening. I told you to remain on the Patreon. A small rebel force has penetrated the shield and landed on the subreddit. Yes, I know. My audience is with them. Are you sure? I have felt it, my master. Strange that I have not. I wonder if your feelings on this matter are clean feet, Lord Vader. They are, my master. Then you must go to the sanctuary pod and wait for them. They will come to me? I have foreseen it. Their passion for role-playing will be their undoing. They will listen to you and you will bring them before the Dark Times podcast. As you wish. Hello and welcome back to the Dark Times, a saga edition podcast. I'm Sam, your favorite cyborg general. And I'm Steven, your favorite absent father. <laughs> How'd you like that session last night? That was fun. We had a good session. It was, I like, uh, okay. <laughs> I like roll 20s lighting system. I don't love it. <laughs> <laughs> a little cramped. Can I be honest with you, Stephen? Can I be honest? Yeah, that's what this podcast is all about, Sam. (laughs) (laughs) It's for me being honest with you. It's not about Saga Edition role playing game. No, Uh, the couples therapist is is why we started this (laughs) podcast. So we could be honest with each other. My problem with the lighting system in Roll20 is I can't see anyone else in the damn game. Yeah, that's like real darkness. It should be party like omniscient. Like I should see... You know, I should see the the scouts view. I should see the the tanks. You know, I should see everyone's lighting personally. Yes, I wish you could see the relative, and I think you can do this if you, if you get a little hacky with it. Like like make the players' tokens illumine, like pr- make light and re- with a really small radius. Um, but I, I would mm. like it if the players could see the relative positions of the other tokens. Or at least oh, where they like last saw them. Yeah, like you, you still see darkness, but you just see a full brightness, just like the player's token. Because yeah, it sucks when the tokens are in like mixed light. Yeah, because it just doesn't feel. It just doesn't work. It really ruins the immersion for me because I have no idea what the fuck's going on. Yeah, yeah. Um, you guys did good though. It did force you to communicate quite a bit more. But this isn't the fucking Roll Twenty podcast, Stephen. It's the Saga Edition podcast from the Dark Times. It's true. We have a email from Zoe Crowley. Oh, let's take a look. Hey guys, here's a bit I've used in my Swizzy games in the past, Space Harbor Freight. For when the group needs a piece of equipment they don't have on hand, they can say they picked it up at a local Space Harbor Freight, as long as it isn't restricted, no license required. If they pay the list price, they can have it for that encounter, it is either used up or breaks after that. If the player says they were having a sale, they can get it for half price, but have to roll to see if it works. Usually a 50% chance, but you can modify that how you see fit. Just a bit you could use in your game if you want. I came up with this after a tedious session where the players got sidetracked by going on a shopping trip to get the gear they needed. A tale as old as time. Steven, no more shopping for 10-foot poles. (laughs) I just got one on me. I just say I have one and we worry about it later. You know what? Interesting that Lloyd does this. It reminds me of the, what's it called? The load system that they have in... Blades in the Dark. Yeah, I was gonna say this is this is what Blades in the Dark does for pretty much everything, and I um I like it a lot. It's really cool because then you can't waste an encounter, or sorry, you can't waste a session spending three hours just <laughs> shopping for space parts. And it's funny. You say too. waste. I say putting my financial degree to good use. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> budgeting, Stephen. Budgeting. <laughs> but yeah, it's a it's a good joke because you know Space Harbor Freight. Like, hey, that's funny. And you know, this is kind of a fun little little tidbit to include in your games, especially if you if you want your players to get creative without actually having to trawl <laughs> trawl through a whole shopping session. Uh, really cool, Zoe. Thanks. I do love that the items break. <laughs> After yeah. the encounter they're used, and that's my favorite part about it. That's pretty cool. Right. Uh, Steven, uh, what did you bring us this week? Yeah. So, you know, we we were talking about the Clone Wars and, you know, kind of a uh, these days an inseparable part of the Clone Wars, uh, to me especially, and, and, you know, since it's it's been pretty heavily explored at our table, is the Dathmeri Witches. And, you know, this kind of coincides with a few other things. You know, you got that new Jedi Survivor game out. You know, we haven't we haven't played it yet. So, you know, e- easy. It, I'm waiting for it to fucking run, be able to run first. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it was months ago, maybe a month or two when, when, you know, like the discord server was a buzz with, with talking about the Dathomir field guide. I, I had gone over this once before in my first campaign. We, we actually, Sam remembers this player. Well, we had, we had a Dathomir player who was less than the ideal player. Uh, well, I think we'll just leave it at that. And I, I put in a lot of energy preventing them from getting their hands on this because <laughs> I looked over a couple talents. I didn't really think they were balanced for what we were doing at the table at the time. The, it just it kind of skeeved me out because I, I didn't really know, you know, the, what the deal was and have the time or, or the energy or the know how really to evaluate this for, for the table. But it was actually Chell Walker who was who was singing its praises. And, and she actually has put on most of the stuff like meat of this guide on the wiki, like the beasts. And I think the force powers and a few other things are, are on the wiki looking great uh, because of her efforts. But well, the, Steven fears the homebrew killer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The homebrew will pass over and through me. So yeah, this is the death field guide. You can find the download link pretty easily on the wiki. You can also Google it. Um, this was a homebrew supplement for Swissy created a, a while ago. I actually had trouble dating it exactly, but it's definitely in kind of Swissy's first wave heyday, kind of the kind of the D20 radio era and the Watsy boards kind of renaissance uh, era. So, you know, like most things like this, it came out of this. It was written by Rob, username Rob Santi. With credits including many legacy names from Swissy's rich history that you may recognize, including Richard Belmont 10, uh, Merc 1, and GM Chris of Order 66. Contains a multitude of information about Dathmir, the people and the creatures that live there, their magical traditions, and the things that they hit each other with. Uh, I thought I'd open up with just a little brief history of, of Dathmir. There's a lot more to Dathmir's history, and especially across all eras of Star Wars. It's very well represented in this book, actually. I encourage you to read it the first few pages that are actually a really, really nice comprehensive history on Dathomir. Dathomir has long attracted the imaginations of Star Wars storytellers, stretching all the way back to the EU's heyday in 1994 with the courtship of Princess Leia. By the way, Sam, I, I don't know if you know about this book, but it absolutely does not hold up to our contemporary understandings of, of love and consent. Han Solo wins the deed to Dathomir <laughs> in a game of Sabacc and then hypnotizes Leia with a special gun designed for this purpose and then kidnaps her because he gets jealous of a like royal hapen prince who who wants to marry her. Wow. Um there's a lot to unpack there. There there is a lot. I think my favorite thing about that sentence is the idea of someone selling Han Solo dot like like betting Dathomir in a game of Sabacc like it's a fuck like it's the fucking uh what's <laughs> what's the book <laughs> like is it Tom so Huck like Huck Finn where they fucking sell him yeah. the yeah <laughs> they sell him the new the Brooklyn Bridge yeah 
Yeah. It's, um, gosh, that reminds me of a few other certain internet trends that, that have come and gone recently. But yeah, the, the way how that's connected is that, you know, the, this, the piece in the galaxy, you know, where we just recapture Coruscant, Han's coming back to see Leia after, you know, the war and all that. Um, the Hapens are here to, to make peace. Leia is receiving gifts from them, including the offering of the hand of, of a Hapen prince. Uh, and, and she's like kind of into it. This fucks with Han so bad that he goes and drinks in, in some fucking like just random cantina in, in the undercity. And then he meets this guy who is like, oh, Han, you're so good at Sabak. You've emptied my pockets. I'm a little low on liquidity, but hey, I'll gamble you this planet. What Han doesn't know, it's Dathomir, which is solidly in Imperial Warlord territory. Um, and he ba- yeah, the guy he- who thinks he can win back all his earnings of one, one tricky play. <laughs> Hmm, let me gamble this thing I don't own. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then, um, yeah, and then he kidnaps Leia, takes her there, and, you know, the adventure ensues. Hail as old as time. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, and, and, but, you know, Dathomir has grown and changed and, and become much more complex and interesting. It definitely started as kind of that classic sci-fi, like, dominatrix fantasy, but it's kind of grown into a more, like, postmodern, like, for lack of a better world, girl power planet as modern favorites with deep connections to this world, like Darth Maul, Mother Talzin, and and Marin from from the Jedi uh, Fallen Order and Survivor games. Yay! Dathomir was home to many civilizations, but our story begins with the Jedi Knight Alya. Uh, Alya was exiled to Dathomir, where she found a rudimentary human society. Alya enslaved the male population of Dathomir. Wait a minute, wait a minute, Why? wait a minute. Why, what's up? Why was she exiled? Was it because of her views on slavery? Because <laughs> Well, you know the Jedi don't mind slavery that much. <laughs> yeah, but they don't actively participate in it, Stephen. I it doesn't it didn't say in the section of the book I was reading. It might go into it later on cuz we're going to I think I want to come back to this book. We have a little bit to cover today or tonight, but I, I definitely want to want to return to this eventually. The most sources I've read on the subject are pretty vague. Like she fell to the dark side and then was exiled through slavery. Yeah. Like what, whatever that means. But yeah, so she shows like up. She goes to a new planet. Her first thing to do <laughs> enslave the male population. That seems like a pretty straightforward. Uh, I don't know if know. that was the first thing she did, but yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> Too funny, man. Yeah, Alia enslaves the male population of Dathomir, domesticates the local rancor, and writes the Book of Law, a codification of her personal beliefs concerning the Force, which she teaches to her descendants as ancestral magic spells. That's magic with a K, by the way. Wait, so she just like... You know what? Fuck Jedi. I'm going to make my own Jedi order, except I'm not going to tell him what it's called. I'm going to pretend it's something I made up uh, called magic. Yes, uh, that that's exactly what happened, though... So, as you know, Sam, the power of magic can make the the believed uh, real, as we'll get into in, in just a second here. Okay, Santa Claus, fucking chill out. <laughs> I was thinking more like Tinkerbell rules, but that's basically the same. <laughs> I do believe in Night Sisters. <laughs> but yeah, so Alia's, Alia's quite the girl boss here, shows up on Dathomir, uh, freshly exiled from the Jedi Order, decides to enslave all the men there, domesticate all the rancor, and write her own system of, of belief. And, and it must magic. have been easy, right? Because like, why would you specify just the men unless it was really easy to do? I it's one of those things. Like, okay, I get I get enslaving a whole planet, but going out of the way to specify just the men on the planet 
it, there must have been something they made it super easy. She had a reason, <laughs> Sam. You know, God forbid women do anything. Okay. Yeah, I'm sorry. I support women's rights as well as their wrongs, Stephen, and I'll I'll go on record saying that. <laughs> and then several generations before the Clone Wars, an Aaron group of Zabrax ended up uh, on on Dathomir from their native Iridonia. The Dathomir segregated them to their own section of the planet and continually call on them as needed for mates, servants, and warriors. This is where our friend Darth Maul and his brother Savage Press came from, as you know. For those fans out there, that's the red one and the orange. <laughs> or is he yellow? He's yellow. Wait. He's definitely yellow. You know, he, I, we saw his Black Series figure at the, at the mall the other day, and it's a pretty good Black Series figure. He looks cooler than he does in the show. Yeah, I got what a cool concept, right? I, I really go back and forth on Savage, honestly. <laughs> I really do. If only that season of Clone Wars had the quality of season seven of Clone Wars. That's well like say. the thing, right? If, if Savage became a thing when the production quality was at like where it was at season it's seven. lowest. <laughs> <laughs> if it was at season seven, yeah. But then also that doesn't change the fact that he's yellow Darth Maul and his name is Savage Opress. Listen. You think fucking Maul is a cool name? Like, it's a verb. It's not, I don't know what to tell you. It's not that it's different or any cooler or less cool than Maul. It's that we already had a guy named Maul, and then his brother <laughs> is named Savage. That's what the problem is. It's not the, like, yeah, Maul, whatever. You can have one guy like that, but his brother, who's yellow and named Savage... <laughs> Oppress? He was bigger than Maul, first of all. And also, second of all, Stephen, the real complaint you should have is that the woman who was like in charge of him, who was named Asajj. <laughs> Savage and Asajj? Like, what the fuck? <laughs> Man. But fucking, no, that season's good because we get weird scorpion fucked up, like, evil force dude Maul, yeah. which is the coolest thing to ever come out of the Clone Wars. <laughs> I don't care what you say. I can't and argue then, with that. And then when Palpy shows up and ices both of them till Darth oh Maul's literally God, crying so and begging for his life. Yeah. Palpatine shows up to fucking Mandalore is like, you know what? Fuck both of you guys. I'm going to kill like 30 Mandalorians on the way in. <laughs> <laughs> I really felt like, cause you know, Palpatine is, is a great villain because he's patient, right? That's why he's more patient than any Sith ever before him. That's why he succeeded so well. And, but I, I always like to think that he knew that he was on the verge of his plan working and he was just so antsy to finally start kicking ass, like so just ready to burst with like violent Sith energy that he just had, just had to rip shit on some Mandalorians. Fuck this. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. He just had to let off a little steam by just absolutely kicking Maul in the shins until he cried for mercy, which he did. God, I... That was Palpatine. Like he was about ready to like blow his whole like plant. Yes. Over this shit. Over yes. my, oh my God, you were supposed to be dead. You dumb sack of shit. Yeah. His <laughs> discarded little fucking toy coming back to damn near ruining his whole deal. So of course he's coming out with the steel boots on. <laughs> I fucking love Star Wars. Me too. Me too. <laughs> Uh, uh, yeah, that's right. Uh, Dathomir. Over the centuries, Alia's descendants would splinter into various clans. Some with different... <laughs> Some with different, some with differing what interpretation. Kazooie character. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was going for like a uh, office water dispenser. <laughs> That's Water Tambor, his cousin. <laughs> oh, I'm losing my fucking mind. It's a good episode. It really is. <laughs> 
Over the centuries, Alia's descendants would splinter into various clans, some with differing interpretations over Alia's words and teachings. One of these groups was the Night Sisters, who committed themselves to practices and influence many would align with the dark side. Heck yeah. So like I said, lots more history after and before that little segment there, but that's the gist you need to bring Dathomir into your games. Enough fucking fluff, Stephen. I'm not making a lore sandwich over here. I want some meat. Yeah, that's fair. I want that's the fair. meat okay. of the of the field guy. Okay, so I got some. Uh, there's there's some pretty cool and impressive and, and unique equipment in the. In I don't the give field a guide. shit about the pressed flowers. <laughs> I want to see the cool fucking sights, man. I got you. Like, show me the sights. I got you. There's actually a mini adventure in this uh, homebrew uh, supplement too that I actually tease. would like to come back and 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 take a crack at. Yes, please. Because I, I liked when we covered, um, I, I still think about the Nerf Herder's daughter a lot. Death, Dirt, and the Nerf Rancher's daughter. Nerf Rancher's, that's right. But yeah, it should Nerf be called Nerf Herder's daughter. You jerk. Yeah, I know, but that's, you know, the double meaning. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Chain sickle. <laughs> not a frozen treat. Uh, no, thank you. I'm full. I know what you're thinking, Sam. This is not a delicious uh, a confectionery you get from a, a, car, a, a truck with a bell. I love Dathomiri cuisine. <laughs> It's like those popsicles like Sonic. So a Saj popsicle with like crooked ass candy eyes. Wait, I like the I like the idea of a mallsicle. They I've seen those, right? They have that. It has to be real. I like I I swear I've seen that right next to the Sonic one back in like 2004. A chain sickle was a type of weapon used by various cultures and groups, including the Night Sisters and Night Brothers of Dathomir. A sinister-looking weapon, the chainsicle consisted of a cylindrical handle from which extended a flexible cord that ended with a razor-sharp bladed bludgeon. About one quarter of the way up the cord from the main handle, a second grip for another hand, which allowed the wielder to swing the chainsicle with accuracy and force. The last half of the cords leading up to the bludgeon was studded with small spikes which could still inflict damage even if a target evaded the primary blades. The most lethal section of the weapon was a large scythe-like blade covering half of the bludgeon with two smaller blades protruding opposite the main blade. You got that? <laughs> Isn't it crazy that a weapon called the chain sickle does not include a chain? <laughs> <laughs> it's got a cord. It's got a bumpy cord and a non-bumpy cord. But yeah, if uh, if you couldn't quite picture this very complicated weapon, uh, dear listener, do just look at the... They got a couple pictures in the book, including Asajj holding it, which I didn't know, like Clone Wars Asajj holding it. I, I didn't know she ever wielded this. I, I think it's from the Dathomir arc in TCW, because that's, that's what it looks like. Probably. There's like an ensemble shot of her and Talzin like posing with a bunch of the other like ninja-esque night sisters and she's holding it and I, she must have used it in like one episode or something. Uh, it deals 2d8 damage. It's a large weapon. It's exotic melee weapon, though it's simple for Witches of Dathomir. Weighs two kilograms, costs 8,000 credits, and it's rare. Uh, this also gives you a plus one bonus on attack rolls. The chain sickle is a reach weapon, granting reach two. Uh, if uh, if I know my chops, if I know I reach chops and I do, that means that you can reach out to three squares. Reach two in this system is that was is what that means. Yeah. Heck yeah. If the attack roll meets or exceeds the damage threshold, the target moves down one step down the condition track from any poison applied to the weapon. Ooh, yeah. The wielder with the pin or trip feet may use that feat with this weapon. You know what's funny about this weapon, Stephen? What, 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 what? Does it really say exotic but simple for Witches of Dathomir? Yes. That means male, 
like Night Brothers can't use it. <laughs> oh, yeah. It does mention in the fluff that, wow, this, you know, that's how you know it's a good homebrew supplement when it repeats the problems of the core game. <laughs> <laughs> that's not a problem. It's a feature, Steven. Jesus. <laughs> so, uh, yes. Well, it does mention the Night Brothers use this weapon. The stats say it's simple for Witches of Dathomir. Maybe it's still exotic for the Knight Brothers and they just take that extra feat. Uh, I'm going to leave that up to up to the listeners to absolutely. what to do about that. Yes, absolutely. They do. <laughs> That's what I would say. Cool. Forget what Steven says. <laughs> We're not. Dri- this is I'm driving the GM Fiat this time. Oh, I'm God. Saying yes. <laughs> All right. Uh, and I also I got here from my, my trip back from Dathomir, Sam. I, I, got, I got the uh, be, be careful with this one. It's got this like ominous red glow. How did you get through customs with this? Oh, dude, I don't know. I just like I, I just kind of put it in there with everything else and just smiled at the at the, the imperial officer and he just kind of waved me through. Uh, maybe he thought it was like a, um, you know, he probably thought it was like a uh, like a souvenir from from the airport. <laughs> the death of your spaceport. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like a little bobblehead, some mother towels in there. Oh, my God. Yeah. Glowing green neck pillow. Yeah, like a like a, a commemorative towel with like Assage on it. Fucking a magazine called Assage Monthly. Oh man, I well you know <laughs> the key of exile was an ancient Sith holocron used to access the chamber of banishment located in the Night Sister stronghold. Oh, thank God! Yeah. <laughs> of course, they have the chamber of banishment in the Night Sister stronghold. You know, everyone everyone's been there. The device was possibly brought to Dathmir by Alia upon her exile, though how she managed to avoid having the holocron confiscated by the Jedi Order remains a mystery. A character with the Force-sensitive feet in possession of the Key of Exile may be considered part of the Night Sister tradition for purposes of anything requiring, as a prerequisite, that the character be a member of the Witches of Dathomir or Night Sister traditions, such as the Dathomir Witch's talent tree or magical familiar feet, uh, the latter of which is a... Uh, exclusive to this this homebrew supplement. Furthermore, a character that spends at least one hour studying under the tutelage of this ancient holocron can spend a force point as a swift action to add one force power with the dark side descriptor to his or her force suite. That character can do this for one day. The following day, they must study at least one hour with the Key of Exile holocron before gaining access to this ability again. Whole lot of words to say, if you're force sensitive, you have this Key of Exile, you are a de facto Witch of Dathomir or Night Sister for taking player options that require. It's like a green card. Yeah, it's like a green card that require this spooky this glowing s- green card. spooky red glowing <laughs> green card. And you can also pop a force point on that baddie once per day to gain a dark side descriptor force power. It's cool. Very cool. This I added this. I was I was going to do another weapon, um, but I added this one instead because it reminds me of two things. Uh, the Mask of Dark Nihilus, which we haven't gone over Sith artifacts on the show, I'm pretty sure, and we should because they're really cool, often overlooked, very easily reflavored, um, super fun. Because when I did the Mask of Zeshkahet in my campaign, our, our first one to twenty Wyvern Squadron campaign, um, I just love the idea. I just I'm obsessed with this having like a berserk esque player item that is very powerful, very useful, not like more powerful than the key of exile. Like I'm talking a whole, whole, a whole notch above, but makes you evil. 
I just, I love yeah. putting players in a situation where they have to choose between like a, a potent, virulent burst of power and being evil. Fuck yeah. I love that shit. It's so it's good. Great. It's a trope I'll never get tired of. And it, it, it putting, basing a whole campaign around it was very fun. Didn't Darth Vader wear the mask of Nihilus in a, in a comic, I believe? I do not know. I would not be surprised if he did. That sounds like the exact sort of thing Dark Horse would turn out. I think I've seen a Star Wars comics uh, YouTube thumbnail where it says the time Vader got a new mask. Yep, that sounds <laughs> I think I know the exact channel upon which you might see something like that. And Sam right here, I uh, this, this was also one that I was surprised I got through customs. But uh, but here we are. Uh, actually, I, I've been using this one on my cell phone um, like pretty much all week. It's been so, <laughs> so useful because I'm always losing that thing. Uh, this is the talisman of finding. The Talisman of Finding, one of several necklaces regularly worn by the Night Sister leader Mother Talzin, was imbued with the blood of the Sith apprentice Darth Maul when she encountered the future Sith Lord in the course of his training. Neither Maul nor his master, Darth Sidious, were aware of the talisman. It, it's got Maul's blood on it, and he didn't even know about it. He was asleep. He was, yeah, he was just... <laughs> it's, he was going in for his monthly checkup, and they were like, we need to pull some blood. <laughs> Talzin rated the fucking general (laughs) practitioner for Darth Maul for blood sample. It's the one of the fucking like baby delivery droids just like full of his fucking blood. (laughs) (laughs) Talzin entrusted it to the Knight Brother Savage Oppress during the Clone Wars so that he could find his long lost brother, Darth Maul, and restore his memories. In 24 ABY, the talisman was recovered by Luke Skywalker along with Emperor Palpatine's book of the Sith, Secrets from the Dark Side. Can we... I know it was just a silly, like, tie-in book for for kids, but, like, can we talk about Palpatine penning his book and calling it Book of the Sith, Secrets from the Dark Side? Thank you all for coming to my book signing for Emperor Palpatine's book of Sith, Secret from the Dark Side. It's even got the chuggy like, <laughs> subtitle, like, New York bestsellers ass, like, fucking, like... If you're here for my other book, Passions of Vader, then <laughs> please step into the next line. <laughs> One of Skywalker's students at the Jedi Praxium used psychometry to identify the talisman's origins. The talisman of finding allows the wearer, once per day, to spend a force point to temporarily swap out any force power in their force suite for one use of the force track force power from the Jadam. That's not magic. Maul's blood just does that. Yeah. <laughs> and force track, I thought I'd just have a quick reminder for everyone here, because I, I certainly didn't remember. Force track is you peer into the force for guidance, picking up the trail of your quarry. Actually, I think we've talked about it on the show maybe once before a long time ago, but so swift action targets the self and you make it use the force check and you roll on a table like usual. DC 15, you determine the path taken by a specific creature you designate, provided you are within the line of sight to that creature's trail. You can track the creature without needing to make a survival check for up to one hour, provided the creature you are tracking passed through the air within the last minute. DC 20 is the same, but 10 minutes. DC 25 is the last hour. DC 30 is within the last day. And you can improve it with a force point to track two targets simultaneously. If your super cool force sensitive bounty hunter doesn't have this force power, you should quit. <laughs> Especially in a competitive industry like that. Yeah. It's one of those things where like they're just gonna hire a force sensitive who's got force track. Like, what are you gonna do? <laughs> oh man. 
last uh, but not least item here. There's plenty of good, uh, really just chock full of cool items in here, particularly the totems. I really, really like the totems in case you can't tell. They're very fun. I like items for force users because there's not a lot. There's not a ton. They're they're there. Like I said, they're Sith artifacts, but like things that make force users go woogity boogity. Uh, I just happen to enjoy. It's a, a little untapped potential in, in Swissy, I think. And that's why probably the source book's full of them. Totems of the Elementals were Night Sister artifacts that could summon night, sunlight, smoke, ice, flame, clay, and wood rot. How's that for your classical elements right there? And earth, wind, or fire. <laughs> they were powerful, primal entities that would not always obey the wielder's bidding. A Force-sensitive character in possession of the Totem of the Elementals may choose one talent from the Shapers of Crovar talent tree from Jadam, or the Ember of Val talent tree, Legacy Era Campaign Guide, for which they meet the prerequisites. Once per day, after at least six hours of rest, the wielder can choose to swap out one of their current talents for the talent chosen. The talent the wielder is swapping out cannot be the prereq for any other talent they have. The wielder can swap back to the original talent after at least six hours of rest, the wielder takes a dark side point for each use of this totem. So there you go. Just a little bangle that gives you just a little bit of flexibility. If you want to dip into any of those flashy shapers of Crovar or Ember of Vol um, talents, I would make this juicier by uh, offering a, a greater boon. If they wanted to take more dark side points, maybe two dark side points for, um, for an extra talent. So maybe three total to get two talents, I think. Ooh. It's not quite how that usually works, but it, it, it could. I'm loving the exchange rate. <laughs> or maybe like someone you know and care about dies. <laughs> Just Jesus Christ. Some real peep the horror <laughs> shit. I don't know if that's worth a second talent. Oh, man, I, I can't. I made water move and it killed my wife. <laughs> Folly of the Sith, man. I'm telling you. Yeah. Oh, man. Poor Anakin. If only he had the totem of the elementals, <laughs> that would have saved Padme. Yeah. You know, remember that, that scene when he's, he's shouting at Mace window and he's like, I need the totem of the elementals. <laughs> I need it. Hey, we're in the break. It's the break. Sam, what do we usually talk about on the break? I don't know. Some dumb Patreon stuff. Yeah. Uh, people don't care about that. We've got a Patreon. Um, there's plenty of ways to support the show, both monetarily and not monetarily. Uh, you know what those are. We're actually going to take a little more space here to, to announce a couple more things. Uh, last week, we spoke about Owen Casey Stevens. He is a longtime RPG vet, been in the game way longer than me, way longer than Sam, and probably way longer than most everyone listening to the pod right now. No disrespect. It's just he's been at this for a long fucking time. Yeah, when he when he was playing Saga Edition, the the dice were made of rocks. <laughs> um, Owen is receiving an outpouring of support from all over the RPG community. We here at the Dark Times podcast uh, are pledging to donate all of our May Patreon uh, revenue straight to Owen, and I will also personally match it. You guys will see the invoices, total transparency for that on the Patreon. Uh, if now was a time you want to get on the Patreon and you want to have your contribution matched for Owen's benefit, we'd happily welcome you to the Patreon. But even better, uh, Owen's preferred way of being helped is one of two $35 mega bundles of RPG supplements for every system you could really imagine. 
those are each a $700 value and all proceeds go straight to him. You can find those on DriveThruRPG. There'll also be a Reddit link in the description below where you can learn more about Owen and learn more about ways to support him. He also has a Ko-Fi, a Patreon, all that sort of stuff. If you're on the fence, consider that almost every aspect of tabletop gaming you have been involved with has probably been affected by Owen in some way. Yes, that's correct. If you've been playing TTRPGs in the past 20, 25 years, Owen has likely had a part in that, whether you knew it or not. Spooky. (laughs) (laughs) Ominous, even. (laughs) And there was one more point of order we we needed to make. Uh, Sam and I will be going on hiatus uh, starting in July through the month of August of this year. Call it the dark time summer, the darkest summer ever known. Uh, we love this pod. We love um, God. We love Star Wars. We love Swissy. But there's some really big changes coming into our lives around that time. And uh, me especially, I, I would really just love to have that time. To I, I'm moving, really. I'm, I'm, I'm moving pretty much the next city over. It's going to be a small move, but it's going to make my life really a lot easier. Um, and and there will be lots of changes that, that come with it. So, yeah, we are asking uh, hands clasped to, uh, to please allow us these couple months to take off and take it easy and then come back at you friggity fresh come the end of August. Steven's moving and I'm having a comedy reduction surgery. <laughs> uh, it's an elective surgery not covered by my insurance. They're too funny, but- <laughs> folks. It's, 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 it's just too much for it's, them. They can't get through their really life. It's really getting in the way of my work. I, when I answer the phone at work, I answer with a joke and it's just <laughs> not good for my productivity or anything like that. And I just... You know, the, the, the show's going to be OK. Don't worry. There's going to be a few less laughs here and there. <laughs> <laughs> That's so fucking funny, Sam. Ironic. Um, <laughs> Don't, Steven, it's really like a serious procedure. And I prefer you not make light of my situation. Oh, you're right. My elective I'm, comedy reduction surgery. <laughs> you're right. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's, Who do you think took your jokes? <laughs> There will be. So we were talking about going on break and, and Sam and I, well, we can't just like stop. There's there's a Patreon. With, That's the stick, Stephen. Where's the carrot so the, for our patrons? The, yeah, the carrot is that there's uh, like a dozen and a half of you who are generous to pay us to pursue our passions. And we can't just like put the Patreon on ice for those two months. At least I, I, I wouldn't feel right doing that because you guys have been there since day one. You contribute your hard earned money to our benefit every month. So. During that hiatus, during the months of July and August, there will be exclusive Patreon content. This will be the only content we're putting out. Not a lot. Like we have one to four things in the chamber, probably two. Yeah. These will be light because if we did any more than that, that it, it wouldn't really be, it a, wouldn't hiatus be a hiatus at all. Yeah. Uh, the, and, the goal is one thing a month. If we hit that, then we're gold. Yeah. Yeah. And we've got some silly stuff planned. We've got some cool stuff planned. Uh, it's going to be we're, we're going to deviate pretty hard from the usual Swissy fair. We, we might branch out into nearby slash other areas uh, that, that hopefully maybe it's Star find. Wars related. Maybe it's tabletop related. Yeah, maybe it's gaming related. We don't know. Yeah, we don't know yet, um, but we, you'll know soon enough. It'll, those will be on the Patreon, maybe a year exclusive, maybe not. Who knows? Uh, but there'll be something kind of think of it like a, a dark times grab bag for to tide you over uh, through the darkest summer yet. Yeah, in case your favorite part of this podcast was me and Steven. Yeah, and not which the Saga edition. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's all we got for the break. Uh, thank you so much for listening to this part of the show. This is where we can really kind of have a one on one with you, at least as, as much as we can through a pre recording on your phone or car radio, however you're doing it. 
reach out. Turn left. Turn left. Uh, now. Oh, sorry, turn sorry. left. Now. <laughs> Is that okay? Wait. Should I cut yeah. That? No. That's that's fine. No. Actually, put some police sirens in too. <laughs> oh man. I hope my surgery goes well. Yeah, me too. You clearly need it. But yeah. But big important parts. Owen's Owen's donations. Yes. Support Owen. Support Owen. We're not going to record the show for July and August, but you'll still see us on our Patreon. Should you so choose. And you can always see us on the Saga Edition Discord. Yeah, we'll be on the Discord and stuff. We won't be like, you know, in Carbonite for those two months. At least I hope (laughs) not. Uh, No, actually, sorry, Stephen, being in Carbonite is part of my recovery period for my comedy reduction surgery. Okay. All right. Well, I'm going to add Carbonite facelift. I can't see. You've heard of, you thought Botox was bad enough. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get y'all back into the show. I'm I'm picking you up by your scruff and I'm I'm placing you back into the show. Yeah, we're putting the headphones back on you. <laughs> I like the idea that we take your headphones off for the <laughs> yeah. for the break segment. <laughs> Steven! Hey, what's up? It's been a while. I had to dust off the old uh the old stat block builders i call hands yeah yeah and <laughs> folks sam was telling me like uh, i don't know if i can do this without saga forge oh. no 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 i can do it without saga forge it's just like it would take me 20 years <laughs> <laughs> it's not that i don't know how to make a character at high levels i do i promise it's that I don't know how to do it in the time period allowed for this podcast. You know, that's a <laughs> like really good point. If you gave point. me a month notice, I'd be like, okay, let's make a full character. But I think I did a pretty good job. I've brought us a Night Sister, Stephen. I'm so excited. Believe it or not. I love Night Sisters. Using the features from the Dathomir Field Guide, I've brought us Catherodon, Night Sister Sniper. Yes. She's a Dathomiri Scout 2, Jedi 5, Force Adept 3. Ah. And Stephen covered the chain sickle. But he didn't cover the other big weapon, the energy bow. Oh, yeah. I buried the lead with the energy bow because I, I yeah. wanted you to have yeah, the honor. Yeah, everyone, all the big Dathomir heads are out there yep. thinking, where's the energy bow, man? Where's yep. the energy bow? Right here. It's a big part of Jedi Fallen Order and everything. Yep. Energy bows were ranged weapons crafted and used by the Knights Issues of Dathomir. The bowstrings and arrows of the weapon were made of pure plasma and emitted a bright pink or purple glow. I hope you never have to restring one of these things. It burns like hell. Uh, <laughs> in the middle of the bowstring was a grip so that the weapon could be fired without harming the user. When running out of plasma arrows, the string could be used as a bludgeon to blind or burn the enemy. Jesus Christ. Nice. The archery skills of the Night Sister Hunters were renowned across the galaxy and had a capital influence on spreading the reputation of the Death of Mary Witches during the Clone Wars. The image of the hooded Night Sister wielding an energy bow became an iconic and fearsome image. For this reason, Mother Talzin of the Night Sisters instructed her acolytes about the use of this specialty weapon in her manifesto, Wild Power. Now that's how you name a manifesto right there. <laughs> Short, simple, <laughs> rolls right off the tongue. It sounds like a 70s rock album. It really does. <laughs> like the fucking Bee Gees Wild Power. <laughs> <laughs> energy bow. Damage. 3d8 energy and piercing, no stun setting, medium size, category exotic, but it's simple for female members of Dathomir witch tribes. I like how this one does not specify night sisters or or Dathomir witches. It just specifies female members of Dathomir witch tribes. Yeah. Huh. <laughs> That's a homebrew for you. Rate of fire, single, weight 4 kilograms. It costs 2,000 or more credits depending on construction, but only 800 credits on Dathomir. They have a sale there. Availability rare. <laughs> Man, we got to get you to that surgery. 
ammunition, one individually loaded plasma bolt, 10 plasma bolts across. <coughs> oh my God, Sam died. <laughs> Comedy overdose. 10 plasma bolts cost 50 credits. Range, as same as a blaster rifle and an accurate weapon. Note, this bow works similarly to the bowcaster in that it wraps the arrow in a cocoon of energy, doing tremendous damage. The arrows can be deflected by a lightsaber. Due to its construction, the bow has to be wielded with both hands. Due to advanced construction, this bow does not have an upgrade slot. Female members of Dathomiri, which tribes treat the energy bow as a simple weapon for purposes of proficiency, but not for other effects, such as the primal warrior feat. Interesting. Yeah, it's very interesting. This build also uses the Dathomiri Hunter. Steven, did you say that the, did you mention that the, the Dathomiri Witch Talon Tree gets like a facelift in this expansion? I, I did not mention that, but it absolutely does. It, it gets like, I think doubled the amount of talents. That, yeah, that, literally yeah. like, and Honestly, here's my thoughts on the death of me, which talent tree. It has like two talents that work together and the other ones feel like an afterthought. Yeah. That's in just fact, my opinion. Many of them, the, the vanilla unmodified um, death of Mary, which talent tree are actually borrowed from like other talent trees, like the Felution shaman, for example. And uh, I think they have a force out of talent on that too, which is just, come on. Why, how could you do what the so dirty? fuck Rodney? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm kidding. He, he had nothing to do with this. Probably. Probably. <laughs> he probably gave it the go. You know what? Fine. Ship it. Felution shaman too. whatever. <laughs> no, that's what the fans are for. Damn We've right. got the death of Miri hunter talent. When you use a chain sickle or an energy bow, your damage die increases by one step. In addition, you gain a plus two bonus to use the force checks to send surroundings. Prerequisites weapon proficiency, chain sickle and weapon proficiency, energy bow. Steven. Yeah. What's up? This makes the damage of the energy bow. 4D, uh, sorry, 3D10. Oh, shit. Fuck That's a lightsaber. Crazy, right? That's crazy. Up next, we have intuitive aim. While you wield an energy bow, taking the aim action requires only a single swift action, as long as you have used the sense surrounding aspect of the use of the force skill since the beginning of your turn. Prerequisites, weapon efficiency, energy bow, death of Mary Hunter, and trained in use of the force. For those unfamiliar, the sense surroundings application of the use of the force skill lets you Spend a swift action to sense surroundings, quite literally. Ooh. You might be thinking, oh, what? Oh, that's so it takes my aim from two swift actions down to two swift actions. We'll get there. Don't worry. Relentless arrow, which is once per turn as a free action, you can expend one use of move object from your force suite to reroll an attack roll made with an energy bow. You must keep the new result, even if it is lower. Oh, that's so cool. Prerequisites. It's pretty cool. Weapon efficiency, energy bow, and move object. I've also given Catherodon improved sense surroundings, the force technique from being a force adept. You may use the force. You may, <laughs> I'm sure you can. You may use the sense surroundings application of the use the force skill as a free action rather than a swift action. There it is. That's your one swift yeah. action aim right there. There's the butter to my bread. <laughs> my one swift action aim, which is insane. Uh, up next, we have the deadly sniper feat. You are adept at staying out of sight when attacking from hidden positions. Effect. When you make a range attack against a target that is unaware of you, you gain plus two bonus on your attack roll and deal plus one die of damage on the first attack each turn. Wow. So, if you listener at home have been keeping track, the average turn for Catherodon looks like this, or Catherodan, depending on where you're from. <laughs> Free action to sense surroundings with a plus two bonus to use the force check. Move action sneak with plus 28 to stealth check from skill focus and a graphiform robe, which Steven didn't mention. It's like a cool Dathomir only 
a, a club jacket. No, it's more like a <laughs> camouflage poncho uh, oh, really for the cool. Dathomiri, which is really cool. A swift action to aim, only a one swift action thanks to Intuitive Arrow, and a staggered action to attack for 4d10 base damage thanks to Dathomiri Hunter and Deadly Sniper. You can use Relentless Arrow to reroll the attack at the cost of a use of move object. You can also use Battle Strike or Cloak to spice up combat. Last but not least, Stephen, though, her Talisman of Transformation gifted to her by Mother Talisman herself. Oh, shit. Talismans of Transformation allow the wearer to change shape in the physical realm to become an animal and tap into the animal's spirit essence. They were dark side artifacts used by the Night Sisters of Dathomir. The Talismans of Transformation were crafted on Dathomir by the Shamans of the Night Sisters. As with all other Night Sister artifacts, the Talismans of Transformation belong to the community of the Night Sisters. According to Talzin, the keeping of the talismans was the responsibility of the Night Sister Shaman, an elder witch whose role was to interpret the will of the spirits. Any sister who wanted to use the ring was required, or talisman, I guess, was required to borrow it from the shaman, as expected, shaman, as it was expected to return to the coven afterwards. Each talisman of transformation is imbued with the ability to allow the wearer, once per day, to spend a force point to shapeshift into its eponym creature. The wearer need not spend a force point to return to original form. Each use of this talisman increases the wearer's dark side score by one. While in creature form, the wearer gains the bonuses, penalties, unarmed damage, strength score, and carrying capacity of the creature. The wearer may remain shapeshifted indefinitely, provided the talisman is intact and worn on the body. But the wearer reverts to original form if killed. If the talisman is destroyed or taken from the wearer's body, the wearer is trapped in animal form until reacquiring the talisman if it is not destroyed or dies. <laughs> so as soon as you die, you turn back into you. Well, all right. The wearer does not gain the mental traits, ability bonuses, mental powers, feats, skills, or psychological limitations of the creatures when in that form. Damn I thought it. that was funny to mention. Yeah. Oh, man, I don't have bird trauma. <laughs> Wait, what is bird trauma? It's the trauma you get from being a bird, Stephen. Oh, Keep of course. Up. <laughs> I, I've given Cathrodon the Choroptics transformation talisman. The Choroptics is like a Dathomir bat. They, have, they don't have any, like, pictures or anything. Ooh. There's, there's cool Wait, was that the... <sighs> the big one? No. Oh, okay. Because the, yeah, the the big one also has a name that starts with Cairo. Yeah, Chirodactyl. Chirodactyl, right? yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's Chiroptic, so it's tiny. A little tiny Dathomir bat. That's cute. So, Steven, you pair Cathrodon with some Bruiser Knight Brothers, and you got an entertaining mid-boss, transforming and moving around the map to take cover and snipe at the party while they're too busy fighting that pack of pygmy rancors you've been keeping in your back pocket. Perhaps she's trapped as a Coroptics and the party founder talisman. They become targets of her loyal night brother entourage. Very cool, Sam. I had a lot of fun. I had a lot of fun. I can tell this, uh, this supplement. This you, you made supplement. a character with some really cool homebrew player options and I, I kind of just like eked out two encounters. Just, just, just cause, you know, it's a good build when like the, the encounters kind of just form in front of you Around on their it. own. It's so easy. Yeah. This could be a fucking one shot on its own, to be honest. Yes. A spooky, creepy Dathomir one shot is Ooh. your players are begging for it. Don't you, tease. Don't tease us. Steven. we'll have to do it for October. Ooh. We do. Oh, can we do one shot Tober? <laughs> one shot Tober. Yeah. Why not? I actually really like that idea. <laughs> Me too. That'd be fun. <laughs> oh, man. Do you mean like a live play or what? No, like we build that one shot through the four weeks of October. Oh, I like that. Go piece by piece. Yeah, like how we covered Death, Dirt, and the North Rancher's Daughter, oh, yeah. but we go through actual each segment of it, and then we build it on the show. I like I that. Know. I know. That's, that's something good. to throw in the back pocket. Yeah, definitely. 
Stephen, do you have any trivia for us this week? I do. In fact, courtesy of Lil Literalist, also known as Stephen C., uh, provided some trivia. Shot me a, a Vulture.com article. This is quite the entertaining little piece of trivia. So, as you may know, the Star Wars logo was designed by one Susie Rice. Uh, when Rice met George Lucas to discuss his upcoming franchise's promotional materials, the Star Wars filmmaker asked her to come up with something very fascist that would be intimidating and rival AT&T. <laughs> Georgie Boy was quite the client in his day. Can you imagine being a, a commissioned artist and, and that's what you're given? And hey, she pulled it off. I mean, this is a, the Star Wars logo yeah, is fucking Im- iconic. It's fucking emboating. Rival AT&T oh, is, foreboding. is it, it's up there, man. I'd say it's bigger now. Yeah, she, she succeeded. Do you think she did other logos for Star Wars as well? Uh, maybe the, I could Google her name. Because honestly, out. I can see it being like, yeah, this is also the person who did the Imperial logo. Like, that makes sense. Let's see. Let's see. Oh, her original design is fucking badass. Show me. Her first please. draft. Yeah. Here, I'll put this in the there in the chat. That's fucking cool. What? I want this on her shirt. Yeah, right. <laughs> That's rad. Was she credited with doing the Imperial logo and stuff too, or no? I don't think so. Uh, I'm reading here if she did anything else. Maybe maybe George Lucas gave the prompt to everyone. Maybe. <laughs> I need you to make a fascist symbol now. <laughs> she did a couple um she did a couple licensing uh subsidiary materials for, for some Lucasfilm subsidiaries. Uh she did some advertising materials for John Williams. That's um cool. Yeah, doesn't I, I don't think her her work uh, I don't think she did much more after this. Wow, that was really cool, Stephen. Thank you. Of course. Do you have anything else to talk about this week? Don't think we'd forget. Last week we skipped over it because we really wanted to keep the attention on Owen, uh, but we wanted to announce the winner of our latest build showcase. Congratulations, winner of the Patreon poll, Mister Butts Desk Jaddy. Uh, fuck, <laughs> Disc Jockey. Patreon's favorite for the Outlaw Build Showcase. Congratulations, Mr. Butts. I think that's another victory in the in, in the chamber for you. Number two, I think. Heck yeah. Uh and and yes, I I was quite fond of of, of Disc Jockey as well. And every submission you guys remember that episode. I was practically yeah. rolling on the floor laughing from from those submissions. Uh stay tuned. We'll have more build showcases for you soon. We've got a couple good ones cooking up in the back. Uh, let They're me calling sure. him the Mr. Bean of Star Wars because he gets into yeah. into trouble. That was without his, whole, trying. his whole deal. Yeah, that was his whole shtick. The Dark Times, a Saga Edition podcast is produced and edited by me, Sam. Steven's my co-host. You can reach out to us on Twitter at Dark Times SWSE or email us darktimessewse at gmail.com. Review us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your shows. Tell us you told someone about the show and tell your table about the show and we'll shout you all out on the show. Steven, mm. do you have a quote for us this week? Where one sees failure, others see opportunity. Mother Talzin. Mother Talzin? I was going to say Maul, but I could see, I guess that's where he gets it from, isn't he? Yeah. (laughs) Mother, your wisdom guided me once more. We gotta, we gotta get Sam Witwer on the show. We gotta man. get Sam Witwer. How long does it until it becomes a meme where we'll never get him on the show? I don't know, man. How long until it's harassment for DMing him again? <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, we don't want to double text. You don't want to look desperate. <laughs> yeah, right? You know, if Rodney never got back to us, like, man. <laughs> Starkiller. <laughs> Starkiller, respond to my DMs. <laughs> thirsting so fucking hard. Garen. Garen. <laughs> Good night, everybody. Boop.